Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we need you tonight. We're thankful to be part of your people. Please bless the preaching of your word. Um, We just sang about how you created faith um, by your spirits moving in our lives and revealing Christ to us in the word. And we pray for the strengthening of our faith tonight as we look to you and look to your word. And we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's great to be back with you again tonight for part two from this morning's message. So we were in Ephesians 4, so you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And this morning we learned that Christ intends every single one of us, every member of Timberlake, to be vitally connected here, to be growing and serving in the church. And that's really the theme of our passage in Ephesians chapter 4. God has gifted his body so that the body will grow. So like we see on the screen, we've been gifted for growth. That's the theme of these two messages. And we saw this morning, we really just kind of began to delve into this passage, and and we already realized that Paul says a lot in these verses. The grammar's dense, and so just to kind of help us track, uh, we try to condense his main argument into just three basic statements. And we looked at the first one this morning. The first statement is, Christ gifts the body, in chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. And Paul told us that that Christ has given every single one of us grace gifts. Grace gifts that he desires us to use for the growth of the church. And what's truly amazing about this gifting is that it comes as a fulfillment of Scripture. We saw from Psalm 68 that Yahweh ascended Jerusalem and the people donated gifts so that the temple would be built. And Paul quotes this text as part of a pattern that would happen again in the future. Now, Paul says, Christ has ascended into heaven and dispensed gifts to be used for the upbuilding of His temple, His people, the church. And when we use the gifts He's given us in service, we saw that we were fulfilling Scripture, promises made to the saints millennia ago. And so we saw that serving in the body is a tremendous, tremendous privilege. But a major takeaway from this morning was the fact that each one of you, every single person as part of this body, uh, all of you are indispensable for the health and the growth of the body. So if any of us are inactive or we're not involved, it's actually detrimental to our body at Timberlake. The church won't be as healthy as it could be, as the potential to be. You're part of the body that's not functioning for whatever reason, an eye or a hand that or an ear that doesn't work is, is a problem. And if that was in your own physical body, you wouldn't treat that casually. You would want that dealt with. Uh, you would want it recuperated so that you could um, get back to your business. And so our inactivity is a problem that we, we really do need to address. Christ saved us to be vitally involved in the life of the church. But, like we talked about this morning, uh, we recognize there's a, there's a stark reality that we, we've got to We've got to recognize that we often bump up against. As we're going to see tonight, we still battle with sin, don't we? We're still easily deceived by lies. Even though we've been given incredible gifts by Christ, we often don't use them because we're consumed with ourselves. We don't see needs because we're not looking for them. Or we can't possibly think about helping others because we know that we're trapped in sin. How can I help anybody else get a speck out of their eye if I have a log in mine? We feel useless, broken, unable to help anybody. Or, we may just feel our immaturity and our inexperience in life and in the church, and we're afraid of that. We're afraid if we jump in, into serving, into meeting needs, into relationships, that we're going to mess something up or someone up, right? These are very realistic obstacles that we have to be honest about um, if we're going to get past those and 
and be part of what, what God intends. They stand in the way of fulfilling everything we talked about this morning to being useful in the body. And Satan would love nothing more than to keep us there, inactive, rendering us ineffective in this great spiritual battle that we find ourselves in every day, a battle that Paul is going to end his letter with in Ephesians chapter 6. Well, the beauty of this passage of Ephesians 4 and of God's design of the church in, in general is that God himself has made provision for these weaknesses, for these things. God knows we're weak, and he knows that we're inexperienced, he knows our propensity toward deception, and he's a professional mender of the soul, he's a professional mender of human beings, a, a perfect renovator of his new humanity. So there's tremendous hope for us here tonight. As Paul continues his argument in this passage, we're going to see that God has given specific people, specific giftings to the church to equip this church for usefulness, to help each of the members grow up and become useful. So we could say it like this, leaders equip the body. Leaders equip the body, and that's what we'll focus most of our time on here tonight. And when these things are working properly, we'll see the last statement of this passage is that the body grows the body. And that's where we'll land. Alright, so let's unpack this, this second statement from our passage here tonight. Leaders equip the body for usefulness, and that's unto maturity, is the end goal. Leaders equip the body for usefulness, unto maturity. And really, Paul starts this, this passage, this next section, with, with what he describes as the gift of leadership. Look with me in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, by speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul really starts this, this half of the passage with this emphasis on leadership and the gift of it, back in, chapter, or back in verse 11. And what I want to do is unpack uh, each of these leaders to show you how God intends them as gifts to you as the church and flesh that out a bit. So let's talk through this, this gift of leadership. Paul lists apostles first. Again, sorry for the microphone. That's totally my fault. Nobody in the sound, nobody in the back, back there. That's totally me. First, he lists the apostles. So what exactly is Paul talking about here? Well, in the New Testament, there are really two ways that, that this idea of apostle is used. One is in a generic sense, someone who's sent out on behalf of another person. So think like a lowercase a apostle. But there's also a technical sense. You can think like a capital A apostle, like the 12 plus Paul. And they are the official representatives of Christ, having witnessed him after the resurrection and bearing his authority on earth after his ascension. In the first sense of apostle, the lowercase a is a sent one. We still send people out today. But in the second sense of a capital A Apostle, there are no more. There are no more official representatives after the twelve plus Paul. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in just a second. But right after the Apostles, what I want you to notice is this next gift described is prophets. You see that? The Apostles and prophets. So, is, is he talking here Old Testament prophets, New Testament prophets? What's... what's What's he, what's he referencing here when he's talking about this, this gift of prophet? Well, we know that he's talking about New Testament or New Covenant prophets 
since they are a gift from Christ that he's given to the church, right? And it's after his ascensions happen. So it has to be talking about prophets of the new covenant. And we see this as we look in Acts and other places. And when you look at the, the New Testament and the data that we find there, what makes someone a prophet is that they receive direct revelation from God for the encouragement or the direction of a local church, a local congregation. So direct revelation from God, clearly, and that's for the direction and the encouragement of, of the local congregations. They also taught and encouraged the church And so they're closely associated with the teachers who are going to come in a minute, but they're different in that what what sets them apart is the reception of revelation, which makes them, again, similar to the apostles, the capital A apostles. And as we pan out in Ephesians, so we kind of take a step back, Paul's already given us data that we need to understand these two groups of, of folks here, these two gifted people. Paul views them together as apostles and prophets as the foundation of the church, or or they are together as foundational for the church. Look over in chapter 2, verse 20. We read this verse this morning, but again, just he's building off this. So, we'll start in verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on... The foundation, notice that language, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Paul views these these two groups as foundational. And this means that that, that they're unique to the building of this end-time temple. It's a foundation. They're unique to it. So how exactly are they foundational? Like in what sense? Well, they received direct revelation from God, like we said, for the founding of the church. You think the apostles' doctrine in Acts 2 that the, that the young believers were devoted to. They were devoted to the teaching of the apostles, Christ's representatives. In this other group, the prophets were also included in this as foundational, particularly by even writing down um, in document form the revelation to be studied and taught in, in congregations. So Paul himself, even in Ephesians, there's evidence that he understood this is, this is what he was doing in Ephesians itself. As he was writing this letter to the church to unpack the mystery of the gospel and its implications for their lives. Look with me in uh, chapter 3, verse 3. Well, let's, let's go back to verse 1. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. So he's written, he's referring to this letter. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his, catch this, holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And that's what all of chapters 1 and 2 were leading us up to, to unpack that idea. That Gentiles have come, and they're full participants now in in this new covenant. So my point here is just to show you that, that Paul himself understood that his role as an apostle, and prophets also, were to receive revelation disseminate it, write it down, and, and Ephesians, like we obviously know, is, is, part of that, is part of that train. This means that they were foundational in that they provided the inspired New Covenant revelation, which was preserved for us in our New Testaments. Paul and the other New Testament authors expected their writings to be received as Scripture. Think about this. They expect, Paul expected his letters to be read aloud in the churches to be copied, to be circulated, to be studied, to be taught, to be meditated upon and applied in the local church. So, how is this a help to us? 
How do they equip us, even though they're no longer here? Well, the, the prophets and apostles don't continue today as terms of offices in the church, but we are still being fundamentally edified by the apostles and prophets as we study and apply the revelation that they supplied to us. Does that make sense? I know that's basic, but it's helpful to think through that. In other words, they are still gifts to us for our equipping via the scriptures that they penned, that we study and apply today. So there's, that's a bit about the apostles and prophets. The next gifted person on the list, Paul describes in, back in Ephesians 4, is the evangelist. The evangelists. So who are they? What do they do? Well, it's a little bit difficult because there's not a lot of data about this in the New Testament. There's a little bit. Philip in Acts is described as an evangelist in Acts 21.8. And earlier, back in Acts chapter 8, his evangelistic activities are described, what he was doing. He plants a church in Samaria in Acts 8. And then he also explains Isaiah 53 for an Ethiopian eunuch at the end of Acts 8. After the eunuch believed, Philip kept on preaching the gospel to town after town until he reached Caesarea. So a little bit of data there about a man who's called an evangelist later in Acts. Timothy, if you, if you go all the way to 2 Timothy 4, Timothy, Paul's protege and, and delegate, is also encouraged to do the work of an evangelist since he was one of Paul's official representatives. And he was an extension of Paul's church planting ministry. Okay, so it's, it's, it's tempting to think about Timothy as a senior pastor. And certainly he had some of those roles in the churches he played. But Timothy is not necessarily a senior pastor. He was more of a delegate of Paul. He was an extension of Paul's ministry as an apostle. So you'll see Paul constantly saying, Timothy, go here. Timothy, come back. Timothy, stay here. Timothy, come, you know. So he's, he's being commissioned and, and sent by Paul, coming back to Paul, giving reports. He's, he, all he is is an extension, a very important extension, of Paul's ministry. And so he's commanded to do this work of an evangelist, which is probably closely associated with this church planting ministry that we see in, in Paul's life. So if we put the limited data together that we have, the evangelist is someone who is especially gifted to proclaim the good news of the gospel, Gospel is just the evangel. So you hear evangelist. They're especially gifted to proclaim the good news of the gospel and plant churches. Although Paul's never called an evangelist, he obviously did the work of an evangelist. And he called Timothy to follow in his footsteps. Now there is a related verb here called, uh, it's typically when we translate it, we translate it preaching the gospel, or I mean just basically you could call it evangelizing. And it was very common that Paul was evangelizing um, where he went. And to evangelize, to preach the evangel, in the biblical sense is to explain the gospel and its implications for unbelievers and believers alike. But it's used primarily in contexts where these new churches are being planted. In Acts, the apostles preached the good news, and the persecuted believers did also when they were scattered out of Jerusalem. So did Philip. Paul and his crew are also described as doing the same kinds of things. So, the evangelist is someone who's especially gifted to go into new contexts with the gospel to see churches planted. So we typically think modern missionary church planter in this category, who goes into another context with the goal of seeing people come to Christ and gathering a local assembly. And the evangelist always has the appointment of elders in view, like Titus 1 says, completing the work that he started. These folks are, are gifted to the church, or they are a gift to the church, in that they're the, they're the ones that are on the front lines. They're the front lines agents, often the vessels the Lord uses in first creating the church in a new place. That's a gift to the church, right? The evangelist is a gift. And finally, these last two items on the list are what Paul calls pastors and teachers. And just the way he describes it, he groups them together. So we're going to have them together in our outline. Pastors and teachers. These gifts are connected 
They're just not the same. They're not identical, but they are connected. Our word pastor, which is what we most commonly call our our elders or pastors here, our word pastor is actually Latin for the word shepherd. It's connected there. So Paul here literally says that the Lord has provided shepherds for the congregation, people with a gift of shepherding or pastoring. This shepherding work is what the overseer or elder does. All right, you can look at Acts 20, 28, 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2. Shepherds lead the sheep by modeling the Christian life. They feed the sheep by teaching and instructing with the apostles' doctrine. They protect the sheep from false teachers and others who would do them harm. And this is the kind of shepherding work that Paul envisions um, here in these giftings. And closely related to these guys are the teachers. These are mature people without all the, necessarily without all the shepherding responsibilities of those who are gifted to impart truths to others. They're extremely useful to the church to impart sound doctrine as well as to, to help flesh out the practical implications of that truth in the lives of the believer. And again, they're closely related to the, the broader shepherding ministry um, or pastoral work that, that Paul just mentioned. That's why he groups them together. Now, what's Paul doing as he's listing these gifts? Well, his purpose here is not necessarily to, to set out like a hierarchy of offices in the church. Because I mean, we know the offices most commonly are referred to as elder and deacon, right? Those are the official positions in the church. He says nothing about deacons here. Uh, evangelists and teachers are not described as offices in the church. So what's he doing? Why does he highlight these particular giftings? Well, I think it's because they are all centered on the truth, and in particular, speaking the truth to the congregation. And they all do it in various ways, but that's the common denominator. God uses his truth in our lives to awaken faith in conversion, i.e. the evangelist. And he also uses truth to dispel lies and to energize our faith, to cause us to grow in Christ, the pastor and teacher. So Paul is highlighting God's provision for the church, particularly in those who share the truth with other people. So, this is the gift of leadership. And he quickly moves from, he doesn't just say they've been given as gifts, but he, he tells us why. He tells us the purpose of leadership as well in the next verse. The purpose of leadership. And Paul says that their purpose is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Look with me in verse 12. He gave these men to, verse 12, equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So, according to this verse, the purpose of Pastor Brian's role and the other pastors and teachers of TBC is to make sure, to the best of our ability, that you are equipped. That's why God has gifted these men to the church. So, kind of like we did this morning, I'm just going to ask some questions. I'm going to spend a, probably a good, good deal of time here in this equipping uh, section. Just ask and answer some questions. So, what, what exactly is equipping? When Paul says that, what does he mean? Well, this, getting a little detailed on you here, but the, the noun form of this, of this word is, is the only place it's used in the New Testament. But the verbal form, the verbal idea, is used in many other places. It can refer to mending nets, like Matthew 4.21. It can refer to restoring people back to spiritual health, Galatians 6, one, or more generically, to, to any kind of preparation, like a preparation of a disciple to become like his master in Luke 6.40. So I think you can, you can think of both restoration and preparation. Make sense? I'm going to kind of grab two words there and hang on to them when we're trying to think about equipping. Restoration, which implies something bad happened that you're restoring from, and preparation, which doesn't necessarily imply anything bad, just maybe inexperienced. Restoration, preparation. I think both are in, in, in Paul's mind here. So pastoral equipping, then, is, is restoration from sin to usefulness 
and preparation toward usefulness. Does that make sense? And just kind of as a side note, an, an, an interesting little feature here, outside the New Testament, this word for equipping was used in the Greco-Roman world for the, the setting of a bone, which you're here in the first, serve, first part one. It's kind of interesting. Um, so, the mending or setting, restoration uh, idea there, outside the New Testament. So, that's what equipping is, but how does it happen? What does it look like in action? How do these, these leaders that God's given to the church, how do they actually equip? Well, we've, we've, we've hinted around it different, you know, different ways, said it different ways, but let me just give you a couple. And I don't think these are on the outline. Well, they do it, obviously, by teaching the truth. Okay? By teaching the truth. The fundamental way that we are equipped is by progressively coming to know the truth from faithful teaching. And that's because our core problem is that we're prone to deception. Even as believers. We still struggle with the old corrupt nature. Paul's going to go on in this chapter, in verse 22, and say that our old nature is corrupted according to the desires of deceit. Now, hang with me here. Look in verse 22. We've been instructed to put off our old self, and now he's going to describe that old self that, was still, that we still have hanging on. This old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through or according to deceitful desires. That's the way the ESV translates that. Literally, is corrupt according to the desires of deceit. This means that our old nature is fundamentally a deceived nature. Because it's deceived, all these desires are springing up out of that deception. It desires all manner of corruption because of the lies that we believe. We think sin is actually good for us, so we pursue it. We desire it. We want it. And that's all flowing out of a deceived heart and mind. We think that living for self rather than living in obedience to the God who made us will bring ultimate satisfaction. And now that we're saved, we have a new nature, which is glorious news, and a new capacity to understand and apply the truth. But it is progressive. It doesn't happen all at once. We have to be faithfully taught so that our minds are renewed, so that our discernment builds over time, so that we can spot the lies and run toward the truth. And leaders, Paul says, help us in this as they teach the truth and they counsel us in it very specifically. And this is the baseline way that equipping happens. Okay, Teaching the truth. But there are other ways beyond this that we see that, that equipping happens. It happens also by modeling the application of the truth. So these leaders not only teach, they also model. Teaching isn't the only way that we equip. We also learn we're equipped by watching the truth modeled in the lives of our leaders. So God gives them as models. We get to know our shepherds and teachers and disciples. We watch how they live, how they react to situations, how they repent and how they forgive how they endure suffering, what really motivates them in life. And then we imitate them. And that's huge in equipping. It's teaching fleshed out, teaching applied, teaching modeled in the lives of our leaders. Another way that this equipping happens in, in our context is when the leaders affirm gifting. As leaders are shepherding us at close range, the leaders get to know us and are in a position to really draw out and affirm the gifts that they see in operation. That's why we need to have close relationships with our, our pastors and teachers. Have you ever had a pastor or someone who's discipling you pull you aside and say, hey, 
I saw you the other day doing X, whatever X is in your context. And wow, the Lord is really producing fruit in you in that way. I think he's really gifted you in that area. That's encouraging, isn't it? And that's a form of equipping because it helps us dial in on the areas that we are good at, that the Lord's gifted us in, and to work at them and to max that out for the glory of God and the life of the body. And so it happens by when it happens when leaders affirm our gifting, and it also happens um, when leaders facilitate opportunities for us. Now, this isn't a necessity like we saw this morning, but this is very helpful in a, a, a very helpful way that equipping continues and is solidified. Leaders also help equip in that they f- help facilitate needs with those gifted to meet those needs. They see the need, they see the gifted person and they connect them. Now, it's not always necessary for a leader to facilitate this because you and I often see needs all around us without a leader telling us to go do something, right? And it's on us to, to go get connected. But it can be very helpful and useful, just as an example, when a leader pairs an older lady with a younger lady. The younger lady comes says, hey, I'd love to be discipled. I've got this issue going on and I don't know how to deal with it. And I say, okay, well, I know this lady in the congregation, and she just talked to me the other day about how she's got some extra time, and I'm going to connect these two um, ladies. Leaders help make needs known so that other believers can, can meet them. As they exercise their gift in this opportunity, their gift is strengthened, and I think you and I are further equipped in that, the strengthening of our gift. That's a, an aspect of our equipping, our preparation. So those are some just broad categories to kind of get you thinking about what equipping should kind of look like in real time in the body. But now let's, let's think through this. How, how can you pursue this kind of equipping? So yeah, the pastors need to be, need to be proactively doing this, but, but there's a, an aspect too of where it falls on you to pursue it. So what opportunities lie before you already? Well, these are just obvious, but it's, it's helping us connect dots here. All right, The corporate services, just like this one, are obvious opportunities. Equipping is happening right now as the word is taught. Week in and week out expositions from Pastor Farrell are incredibly equipping over the long haul. Daniel has been so good for us. We could say the same for Philippians and Ecclesiastes before that and Mark before that and the list could go on. Year after year, this is our bread and butter equipping, the the sort of air assault, if you will. Um, where the truth is just raining down over us, the way God has given it to us in his Bible. And beyond that, beyond the morning, we seek to equip you on Sunday nights too. In the spring and fall, we even have classes that we call, ready for it? Equipping classes. We're full of creativity at this church. I love it though. We take these particular issues or portions of Scripture, and it's our aim to help those classes equip you specifically in those areas. You're getting better at it. But from practical issues like marriage and parenting to to theological or exegetical issues, we want to, to equip you. Our aim is to utilize the teaching gifts in the body for your edification, for your upbuilding. And beyond that, Really, the, the, the next most important thing, probably equally important, is our Sunday school ministry. And I know if you're new, that may sound old to you, but it's our, it's our key ministry, um, beyond the corporate services. It's hard to overstate the importance of getting involved in a Sunday school class. Why is that? Well, it's our main shepherding arm. We've disseminated these pastors and teachers through the body and given them little mini-flocks, if you will, uh, to shepherd and teach. And that's our main shepherding arm of our, of our church. They give attention to you in those classes, give attention to your soul. They're your closest range shepherd and the shepherd that you can intertwine your life with and receive the most ongoing care from and equipping from. Doesn't mean you can't from other pastors in the congregation, but they're, they're your closest proximity shepherd or teacher. And by, by proxy, the one who is going to know you the best and be able to sort of affirm and and really crank it up, help you crank it up in some of these areas. 
So Sunday school is, if you're not involved, you, you, that's really important that we, that we plug in there. And if you are involved, it's important that you get to know that teacher or shepherd in that, in that ministry area. Open yourself up to them. And then another, another way you can pursue it here, the last, last way maybe you can pursue, pursue this sort of equipping, is, is through discipleship and counseling. It's most natural as it arises out of your Sunday school class, but, but we also have a counseling ministry here at the church where we've set aside leaders to intensively shepherd you and equip you out of sin and toward usefulness. That's their goal. So if you're trapped in sin, if you're the broken bone that we talked about this morning, please come and talk to us. We want to help you. We want to direct you to Christ. This is why God has put us here, according to Ephesians 4, and we want to make you useful to this body. So you can make an appointment in the counseling center online today. If, that's, if you want to go that route, you can come up and talk to any of the shepherds or elders here at the church. And we will definitely make sure that you are, you are cared for. So those are just some practical ways that I think the Lord would have us here at Timberlake, the ways we are currently pursuing this equipping of, of the saints. But what are we equipped for? What are we equipped for? Like, what's, what's the end, end goal of this? Well, Paul says that leaders are given to equip the saints for something specific. He calls it the work of ministry. The work of ministry. So we equip you so that you are useful and able to do meaningful and rewarding and glorious work. That's our primary job. That's our, you could call it the job description of the pastors and teachers. Our job is to get you on the mend, so to speak, so that you can be an effective servant in the body. And we all, in, when we're counseling and discipling, we try to reinforce this in various ways. Um, when folks come to us, we try to help them see sometime at the beginning of the counseling that we're not just there to help them fix their sin problem. We are there to help them do that. But there's something beyond that that we want for them and that Christ wants for them, and it's to make them useful for his sake. We want to make them a fully equipped member of our congregation that's part of the solution to the growing health of our body and an effective servant of the church. Now, we learned this from the apostles. This isn't like something that's unique to us at Timberlake. Paul does this over and over again, he fleshes this out, really, actually, in, his, in this very letter. I just want to give you one example of, of this, where he's not just content to leave someone free from their sin pattern, but he wants them to actually be an active participant in the life of the body. Look over in, in I mean, we could cite so many examples, even in this letter, but look over in verse 28, chapter 4. Paul says, Let the thief no longer steal... But rather, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Do you see the progression? No longer steal, work hard to give. Right? Paul's not content that the thief's just not stealing anymore. He wants this once thief to learn to work hard. So he says, so he has something to give away. So he has something to share with people who are in need. And the, the very this beautiful thing about this is that in this culture and in ours today, people often steal. Why? Because they're in need. They need stuff. That's not the only reason people steal. But that's in, especially in this culture, people needed food. They needed stuff. And so they would steal to get it. And so Paul wanted this wants thief to become a hard worker and exercise his gift of giving and so become a force for good, reducing the temptation to steal. You see that? By being generous with his resources. So we have to think in these patterns. We have to think in going from enslaved to sin, mended, to now being a useful participant, just like Paul teaches us here in the, in the back half of Ephesians. So, 
That's what we're equipped for. It's for the work of ministry. But what exactly is it? What exactly is the work of ministry? What does he mean by that? Well, we have some clues right here in our text. Notice that he calls it work. See that? The work of ministry. The work of ministry. Now, if if you're familiar at all with Ephesians, you know that Paul is all about meaningful work that glorifies God. He told us back in chapter 2 that God saved us for good works. Like, that's why he saved us. Like, that's his summary statement. Yep, you're saved for good works. And by the way, he prepared those works beforehand for us to walk in, he says in, in verse 10. So in saying that we're equipped for the work of ministry or the work of service, Paul is saying that we're equipped to pursue these good works. The works in particular that serve or minister to other people. So that's a clue in that just he calls it work, that we're equipped for work. But there's another clue here too, uh, right here in this text, as to what Paul means by this phrase, work of ministry. It's the phrase that follows, um, it follows this phrase, the, the phrase he follows it up with. He says, for the edification of the body. So both phrases are talking about the same thing. They both sort of mutually explain one another. One gives clarity to the other and vice versa. In other words, the work of ministry, here it is, is anything that edifies the body. The work of ministry is anything that edifies the body, and anything that edifies the body is the work of ministry. And again, Paul is very practical. So in the last part of this book, he gives us example after example of what edifies the body, of what constitutes this work of ministry. He says we learn to speak truthfully with each other, verse 25 of chapter 4. We learn to reconcile, be peacemakers, verses 26 and 27. We learn to work hard like we just saw. We learn to speak words full of grace to build up the body, verse 29. We learn to be kind and forgive, just like Christ was kind to us, verse 32. We learn to imitate God sacrificially and loving others, verse chapter 5. The list goes on and on, all the way down to the family. The work of the ministry even spills over into your family life. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't bifurcate those. We shouldn't take family and make it something distinct from, from ministry or, or the church. Those are belong together, even in this letter in Ephesians. The church is made up of families. Families, too, are part of this, of this church, and so the work of ministry is any good work that edifies the body at large. And that's what Paul is, is saying these leaders equip us for. Now, we've looked at how Christ has given leaders and how those leaders have a specific purpose to equip, but Paul doesn't stop here. He ends this passage by laying out a number of, of goals, maybe we could say they're more ultimate goals, in this equipping ministry that these leaders should have. And you can think of them as like their ministry targets. Like this is what they're after. Okay, yes, they're after equipping you for usefulness so that you build up the body, but that's, that's crescendoing into something else, something greater. And he lists those goals here um, in the rest of the passage. And his answer, you know, I, I'm, I'm calling it the goal of leadership, and, and I would say his answer, we could summarize it by saying the goal is, is full corporate maturity. Full maturity of the church. Look with me in in verse 13. So all this is happening until we all, there's the corporate, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So the goal of leadership is is full maturity for, for Paul. And as you can see, as we read, there there's... He lists them in several ways. It's not just one, he doesn't, he, but he, he, just, he, he lists them just 
over and over again in, in different, various ways here in this passage. And I think I have them on the PowerPoint. Um, we'll hit these briefly. Microphone again. Sorry about that. Unity. Unity is what he says in verse 13. He says, they're to do this equipping ministry um, for the building of the body until we become unified, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. A unified church is the mark of a healthy church. And Paul says here we're to be unified in the faith. And that's, he means doctrinal unity. So the pastors and teachers are equipping us to be doctrinally unified. We believe the same things about Christ. But also he says we're supposed to be unified in the knowledge of Christ himself. So we're all supposed to really know the Lord Jesus and really trust him and really walk with him. And the pastors are supposed to tune us to Christ himself. And so as we're tuned to Christ, like a tuning fork, we'll all be tuned to the same, the same uh, tuner, if you will. And so we'll all play in, in harmony with one another, in unity. So he says unity is a goal. He also says that maturity is a goal in verse 13. He says to mature manhood, there at the, the, the middle of verse 13. Our unity should be such that we all corporately think and act as one mature person. One mature adult. And this is, again, we've not walked through Ephesians, but this is new humanity language that, that so often pops up in Ephesians. What's fascinating about this is the emphasis on corporate maturity here. Have you ever thought about that? God looks at our church at Timberlake and gauges its total maturity, not just your individual maturity. I think most of the time we just think, you think maturity, we think me. But according to this text, the goal is corporate maturity. His goal is that we all grow up together in body life with each other, and the leaders are given to help us get here. They provide the truth that will nourish us and get us to this maturity, and so they model it, even though it's imperfect. Uh, they model what this maturity should look like. So that's a, that's a goal. Another ultimate goal is Christ-likeness. All of these goals here sort of swell up into an incredible statement that Paul makes at the end of verse 13. Think a tidal wave that is growing through verse 13 to crash down at the end. He says that we would look fully like Christ in this world. Verse 13. He says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So resembling Christ, thinking and acting like Him, laying down our lives for each other in love, sacrificially serving each other, and the list could go on. We want to resemble Jesus. Our church should have a face in the face of Christ. We should look like Him, act like Him, think like Him. And Paul's still not done with these goals. You know, I, th I think he's just, he's just hammering us here. He tags a few more on here at the, at the, at the end of, the ver at the end of this, this section. And we'll just treat these briefly. We'll, we'll combine verses 14 and 15 and just say, his goal is that we progress. Okay? Progress. We progress away from something, he says, away from toddlerhood in verse 14, and toward growth in verse 15. So Paul essentially calls us toddlers when we're first starting out. Look in verse 14. He says, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So we're like toddlers, and toddlers are constantly at risk. Just come to my house. It's a, it's a, a miracle that they're alive. Um, and we're trying to be faithful parents. I mean, they're just constantly, constantly at risk. And so are we when we're young in the faith, when we're immature. We're prone to deception by lies. And so we need the truth desperately. We need it consistently. So one of the goals is that we're learning to go away from this toddlerhood and toward something else, toward this growth in verse 15. Paul says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Paul says that as you and I have been equipped with the truth and we become truthful with one another, that the church becomes like a, an echo chamber of the truth. Lies are not, they don't stay here long. 
because we've been equipped. That as that's happening, then, as every single one of you is becoming more rooted in the truth, that the, that the body grows. That means that as we become more truthful, you're going to progressively transform. You won't be as deceived as long because someone's going to be coming alongside you, helping you work through that. And Paul says here that, that we're going to be motivated to speak the truth out of this deep love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is we speak the truth in love. And this is the very means by which the body, body grows. And that's exactly where Paul lands here and where we're going to end. As Paul hammers home at the very end of this passage, when all the equipping ministry is happening, guess what results? Paul says, the body grows the body. The body grows the body as we exercise our gifts. Look in verse 16. So we're, we're grown up into every way into Christ who's the head, from whom the whole body, verse 16, joined and held together by every joint with which, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The body causes the growth of the body here in this verse. And so that's the, that's the crescendo. We don't, that, that doesn't, I mean, there's, there's a lot to maybe explain, but I think that's enough for tonight. And we'll land here. Our Lord does all things well, doesn't he? He's gifted us. He's even supplied us with leaders to equip us to use our gifts. And as we trust Him and, and we work according to His methods here, laid out in Ephesians 4, it says here in this verse 16 that He, as the head, surges our body with spiritual energy and fruit, fruitfulness. We can trust that over time we will experience the kind of growth that our Lord desires. And he desires to do far more than we can all ever ask or imagine or think. He says this, Paul says this here in, in chapter 3, verse 20. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory right here in the church. Right here in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you're such a kind shepherd. Um, even as we look at the gifts that you've supplied, uh, you know that these gifts of pastors and teachers and, and others are still beset with weaknesses. Yet we look to you as the, as the chief shepherd, as the head of the church, who supplies the church with all of the, the energy and the, the growth that ultimately happens. And uh, we thank you for it. And we do, we ask for more. Um, in our congregation right here at Timberlake, that you would continue to equip us, continue to help our, our pastors and our teachers be faithful in the equipping ministry and the members to, to grow and flourish as they serve one another. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.